honors to have you with us. And as Pastor DJ said, you picked a good weekend to be here, as this weekend marks 10 weeks at CFA. Uh, today is our 10-week birthday. And 10 weeks ago, we embarked upon this uh, faith-filled, uh, prayer-filled, adventure-filled journey, and it has not disappointed. Uh, I looked for a book on how to launch a church during a pandemic, and they didn't have one. I looked for a manual on how to start a church during COVID, and there wasn't one out there. Because uh, some things uh, you can't read in a book, uh, some things you can't get from a manual, uh, some things you can't learn in a class, some things you can only receive by faith. Amen. Amen. And uh, come on. And uh, uh, this has been nothing short, nothing shy of a faith-filled journey. Uh, nevertheless, we serve a faithful God, and uh, he always comes through. And we've seen God already do some remarkable things, uh, but we believe the best is yet to come. Uh, we believe our best days are still ahead, uh, as we believe the rest of our days uh, will be the best of our days. And God has some great moments and some great miracles ahead. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. One more time. Let's just give it up for 10 weeks at CFA. We're excited about what God is doing. Well, if you are here for the first time, I uh, just want to welcome you. I hope I'm one of many people who's already said, hey, hello, what's up as you walked in. Uh, CFA is a family, and we like to say welcome home, uh, welcome to the family. Uh, mi casa, su casa. Uh, that's the extent of the Spanish I know. I'm not really even sure what I just said, but... Um, but we're so glad you're here. Uh, we're, we hope you have a great time. You feel welcome. If you have any questions, let us know. But we've been in a series entitled A Church for Blank. A Church for Blank. And each weekend, we've been filling in that blank. Uh, last weekend, Pastor Alicia did a phenomenal job. Come on. I was about to just give her the whole month, say, go. Just go for it. Uh, just an incredible message on... Uh, the Messy, a church for the messy. And if you didn't catch the message, you can check it out on our Spotify podcast. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal message. Uh, this week, I want to add another message, uh, fill in another blank as we just talk about God's love. Uh, that I want to be a church for God's love. That we are a church that represents the love of God. And when people walk in, they experience God's love. Is that okay? Yeah. And I have good news. I have good news for you. And that is no matter who you are, uh, where you've been, what you've done, there is a God who loves you, and nothing you could ever do can change that. Regardless of how you walked in, whether you walked in feeling bad, sad, glad, mad, it doesn't matter. There is a God who loves you, and there is nothing we could ever do to change the way God feels about us. So smile. That is good news, right? I'm going to convince you. Let's, uh, let's uh, check out in our Bibles. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, uh, Matthew 3. Uh, Matthew is my favorite Gospel writer because uh, he clearly has the best name, just has a great name. So Matthew chapter 3, and let's check in verse 13. It reads, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? 
Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Someone say all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. Someone say heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. If you would stand up with me, let's just take a quick moment and pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you. Uh, for these few brief moments we have together. And we pray uh, you would speak to us by your word, about your word, and through your word. We pray today uh, that we wouldn't just talk about love and hear about love and discuss love, but we would experience your love, that we would receive revelation of your love, that those who've walked in perhaps today feeling loveless and graceless, they would walk out knowing they're loved by you. And we have grace because of your finished work on the cross. We thank you so much for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may go ahead and sit down. Well, if you are familiar uh, with the life of Jesus, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you realize there's not much we know about Jesus growing up. There's not. We know a lot about Jesus' birth. If you didn't know, we call that Christmas, as his birthday is the most widely celebrated birthday in all the world. We know a lot about Jesus' death and resurrection. We call that Good Friday and Easter. Both are pretty widely known holidays. We know a great deal about Jesus' ministry. Jesus from age 30 to 33. His three years of ministry is really detailed in the Gospels. Yet we don't know a lot about Jesus growing up. We don't. In fact, the small glimpse, the sliver of context we have is actually found in Luke chapter 2, where we read that Jesus was 12 years old and Mary and Joseph misplaced Jesus. It's true. You should read the Bible. It's a good book. We read Jesus is 12 years old and Mary and Joseph lose Jesus for three days. Listen, this makes me feel a lot better about myself because I, I've lost my phone, I've lost my wallet, I've lost my keys, but Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. You know? God is like you had one job. You know? They lose Jesus. And it's this amazing story. You, you should read it. Uh, they finally find Jesus three days later and he's in the temple. And he's sitting with, and he's talking with, and he's listening to the seasoned rabbis. And they are blown away. They're astonished at his wisdom and his humility. And then we read this final verse in Luke chapter 2. It's Luke 2, verse 53. And ultimately, this summarizes all we know about Jesus growing up. We read that Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature, favor with God, and favor with man. That ultimately summarizes Jesus' entire upbringing. He grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Now, being kind of a theology nerd, being kind of an innately curious person, being a parent myself, I've often wondered, what was Jesus like growing up? Have you ever wondered that? Like, what was he like? We know he was sinless. Nevertheless, did Mary have like tension moments with Jesus that we have with our kids? You know, I ever wondered that. You know, were there times that Jesus would bombard Mary with questions like our kids do us? 
you know, and Mary's like, ah, Jesus, I don't know. Go talk to your dad. And Jesus is like, which one, Joseph or God, you know? <laughs> you know, if, if I were Jesus, literally every time Mary and Joseph asked me to do anything, my response would be, isn't the cross enough, you know? Jesus, clean your room. Isn't the cross enough? You know, Jesus, do the dishes. Isn't the cross enough? No. Now, I realize Jesus probably wouldn't answer that way because he was sinless, but it would have been my response every time, every time. But there's not much we know uh, about Jesus growing up. In fact, Jesus, this is just kind of some, some Bible uh, context, but Jesus aged 12 to 29 is really a mystery to us. Uh, theologians and scholars depict those years as the unknown years or the silent years of Jesus. All we know is he grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with man. And I told you all that because it's not until we pick up in the text we just read that Jesus comes back onto the scene. It isn't until Matthew chapter 3, it isn't until Jesus' baptism, it isn't until his entrance into ministry where Jesus is 30 years old that he kind of comes back onto the scene. And Jesus' baptism is actually documented and depicted in all four of the Gospels. It's documented in the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were written about 20 to 30 years after the life of Jesus. It's also documented in the Gospel of John, which was written some years later, kind of a standalone gospel. It was written to a broader audience and kind of has a distinct theological undertone compared to the other three. But all four gospel writers felt the need to put pen to paper to document and depict Jesus' baptism. Why? Because I believe in Jesus' baptism, we find out a lot about Jesus. And we discover we could say almost everything we need to know about who Jesus is and why he's come. Because in this story, in this scene, in this moment, I believe we discover the nature the character, the person, and the identity of Jesus. And so I'll get into that in a moment, but I want to share with you three things out of Matthew 3 that I think are vital and pertinent for you and I. I want to share with you three things that I think are important and applicable from Matthew 3 into our lives today. Is that okay? So three things. The first thing I want us to see in Matthew chapter 3 is I want us to see the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. It's subtle, it, perhaps unbeknownst to us, but Matthew 3 is really a depiction of the humility of Jesus. To understand this, we have to first understand Jesus' baptism. And not just the what, not that Jesus was baptized, but the why. Why was he baptized? So you have to understand Jesus was baptized for a very different reason than you and I are baptized. Last weekend, uh, we had our very first Baptism Sunday uh, here at CFA. Come on, you can give it up for that. Just a remarkable Sunday. I don't think there's anything quite like people being baptized, kids, youth, adults going public with their faith, uh, declaring Jesus as Lord. It's just this epic. It's just this phenomenal. It's just this family moment, and it was incredible. But baptism symbolizes death to life. It symbolizes dead to sin and alive in Christ. When we go into the water, it symbolizes dead to sin 
And some people we hold under a little longer than others, just to be sure. I like to say when the bubbles stop, the sin is gone. No, I'm just kidding. But when we go into the water, it symbolizes we're dead to sin. When we come out of the water, it symbolizes this new life in Christ. Well, Jesus wasn't sinful. Jesus was sinless. So why was Jesus baptized? He tells John this. He says, I need you to baptize me. Why? So I can fulfill all righteousness. Now, when you study this out, this has kind of a lot of different meanings. But ultimately, when Jesus was, say, was said this, what he's saying is ultimately two things. Baptize me, John, for number one, I need to fulfill the will of my father. That's part of it. The second part is so he could serve notice that he would pay the price for all of humanity. To sum it up real short and real quick, Jesus was baptized to fulfill God's will and to pay our bill. To fulfill God's will and to pay our bill. See, the moment humanity had a sin problem, God had a sin solution, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus laid aside perfection in heaven to come to this imperfect world. Jesus combined with his deity, humanity, which means he was fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And because he did, we have life. Come on. Because he did, we are loved. Because he did, we are saved in every sense of the word. Come on, smile. This is good news. And this entire depiction, this entire moment, this scene of Jesus' baptism is ultimately serving notice of a future blood-stained cross and empty tomb. That he, when he went into the water, he died for our sins. It depicts the cross. But when he came out of the water, it depicted he would rise from the dead. And as he is risen, so are we with him. And that is good news. And this entire scene, this entire moment depicts the humility of Jesus. So much so that when John sees Jesus, he says, whoa, it's not me who should baptize you. He says, you should baptize me. He's like, Jesus, you have this whole thing backwards, right? I mean, this would be like Russell Wilson asking me how to throw a football. I'm like, I don't know. You're Russell. This would be like Steph Curry asking me how to shoot a basketball. I'm like, uh, you're Steph. You tell me, you know. This would be like LeBron James asking me how to flop for a fake foul. He already has the art form perfected, you know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love LeBron. I love LeBron. This whole thing's backwards. And, and John's like, Jesus, why would I baptize you? You should baptize me. And see, we have to see the humility of this because we could say, watch this. When Jesus asked John to baptize him, God was asking man. The creator was asking creation. The savior was asking a sinner. And this whole scene exudes humility. And it's like Jesus wants us to know the moment he comes back onto the scene for ministry at age 30, he has not come into this world to be served. He has come into this world to serve. He has not come into this world to get love. He's come into this world to give love. He's letting us know right off the bat that he has not come into this world for fame, for fortune, for notoriety, or to be recognized. He's letting us know, I have come to give. I've come to sacrifice. 
sacrifice. I've come to love and I've come to exude humility and give my life for humanity. And this entire scene, this moment, this story exudes the humility of Jesus. And we're able to see his nature. We're able to see his character. We're able to see the person and the identity of who Jesus is, that he's come to give his life. And if humility is a staple in Jesus' life, it ought to be a a goal and aim for you and I, right? And we don't really live in a humility-based world, do we? (laughs) Everyone's kind of trying to get theirs. Everyone's out to take care of themselves, number one. Yet if we want to represent Jesus, I believe humility ought to be a staple in our lives. Now, I think many times if we're not careful, if we're not cautious, we misinterpret, we misunderstand humility. We can define and depict humility incorrectly, that we see humility as looking down on ourselves, or we'll see it as lacking self-confidence, lacking self-worth. We'll see humility as allowing people to walk on us or take advantage of us, but, but that's not humility at all. On the contrary, Humility is having courage and confidence of who you are in Jesus. That's where it comes from. Humility is understanding who you are and whose you are, that you belong to Jesus, and it's through Jesus that we have value. Not in self, it's through him. It's through Jesus we are loved. It's through Jesus we have worth. The best definition I've ever heard on humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Oh, our world could use some of that. Social media could use some of that. It's thinking of yourself less. And as I kind of finish this point, I just want to share with you a few things, just a few quick bullet points and thoughts of what humility is. I think many times we define humility by what it's not. What is humility. First and foremost, humility is thinking of others above yourself. Just thinking of others above yourself. Philippians 2.3, Paul writes to the church in Philippi these words. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility, think, value, consider one another above yourself. Oh, this would help our life. Oh, this would help our marriages. Oh, this would help our families. Come on. Think of others above yourself. And I think if we aim to live a life of humility daily, daily, we will ask ourselves a question. How are my words? How is my conduct? How is my life? How are my social media posts valuing and considering those around me. Humility is thinking of others above yourself. Secondly, humility is listening before speaking. Ah, gotcha. Got all of us. Listening before speaking. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. James, the half-brother of Jesus, some of us are like, how are they related? Same mom, different dad. (laughs) Some of you will pick that up later. So, (laughs) James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in James 1, verse 19. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. 
If we want to be people of humility, we also need to be people who listen. Listen. Every time I open up my mouth and talk, I can only speak and say that which I already know. But anytime I open up my ears to hear, I could learn something new. And some of the reason we live in a world inundated with discord and division is everyone wants to talk and no one wants to listen. But listening is key for humility. Listening is a byproduct for loving. If you love me, you'll listen to me. If I love you, I will listen to you. And if we want to be people of humility, we also need to be people who are willing to listen, willing to hear, open up our ears. Amen? Amen. Third thing I want us to see about humility. Humility is a prerequisite for wisdom. In fact, Proverbs 11.9 tells us, 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And then the fourth bullet point, and I'll just kind of wind this down. Humility is seeing others the way Jesus sees them. Humility is seeing others the way Jesus sees them. Now, oftentimes we only view humility as internal, but humility is also external. It's having right assessment of self and others. It's realizing all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us would be gone without grace. All of us would be lost without Jesus. It's understanding the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one stands taller. No one stoops lower. But all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us need Jesus. That's really the heart of humility. It's seeing others the way Jesus sees them. The other day, I was uh, driving in my car, and the car in front of me uh, had the bumper sticker. It said, honk if you love Jesus. I hadn't seen that bumper sticker in like two decades, but I saw it. Literally, I'm not kidding. So the light turned green, and so the guy didn't go. And so I just kind of gently, you know, not, not that loud honk that's aggressive, that real gently, huh? You know what I mean? Just real gentle honk to let him know, hey, the light's green. Dude, flip me the bird. And I'm like, bro, it said honk if you love Jesus. This was a totally appropriate honk. And, and I was frustrated. I wanted to go off. I'm like, dude. You know, but then I'm like, but I'm here about to preach a message on humility. You know what I mean? And seeing others the way Jesus sees them. And then I thought, maybe they go to your church. You know what I mean? So I decided to forgive Pastor DJ. No, I'm just kidding. It was... It wasn't DJ. It wasn't him. <laughs> but humility is seeing others the way Jesus sees them. Listen, it's easy to love our friends. It takes humility to love our enemies. It's easy to love our fans. It takes humility to love our foes. It's easy to love those who agree with us. It takes humility to love those who disagree with us. Come on, it's easy to love Husky fans. It takes grace. It takes a miracle to love Cougar fans. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But humility is seeing others the way Jesus sees them, knowing all of us need a Savior, knowing all of us need the love of God. All of us need the grace of God. Without him, we would all be lost. Amen? Amen. 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 
Second thing, second point I want us to see out of this text, out of Matthew 3, is heaven opens. I love this part of the story. I love this. So, so here we got the story. This is arguably my favorite part of Scripture. Jesus is baptized, right? Heaven opens. The Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And we hear the voice of the Father say, This is my Son, whom I love, whom I am well pleased. But heaven opens. I love it. The other day, I was uh, uh, heading to my favorite coffee shop to study because uh, I needed some quiet hours uh, to prepare, uh, put some pen to paper, jot down some thoughts. And I had everything I needed, or at least I thought I did. I had my MacBook, I had my Bible, I had my pens, my highlighter, my concordance. I'm ready to go. I got to the coffee shop. The coffee shop is closed. And it's, there's a sign that says, close for business, 3.30 p.m. And I'm like, what coffee shop closes at 3.30 p.m.? This is the Pacific Northwest. We invented coffee. I'm not sure if that's true, but it feels true. I'm like, who do I need to call? Who closes at 3.30? Well, there's a good news, bad news situation to this. The bad news is I didn't get to sip on my favorite cup of coffee, which is a tall Americano with cream. Love them. The good news, the good news, is I walked away with a decent message illustration, and that is this. I think many times we as believers, uh, followers of Christ, can view God, the things of God, the promises of God as closed for business. But I have good news for you, and that is God is never closed for business. God is always open for business. His light is always on. He's the light of the world. His door is never locked. He said, knock, and the door shall be open. Heaven is never closed for business. Heaven is always open for business. Now, I have good news. I, I realize that in Matthew 3, uh, when we read this story, this is a pretty dramatic story, right? Uh, the, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. It's psh, the voice of God speaks, this is my son. And, and this is dramatic story. I get it. Most of us probably won't experience that. You know, like we're walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden the sky splits open like that is my son who is drinking a Slurpee or you know something like that. I realize most of us probably won't experience a moment like that. Yet, I want to live my life like heaven is open because it is. I want to live my life like Jesus is alive because he is. I want to live my life like the things of God are real and can happen in my life because they can. I want to live my life like all the promises of God are yes and amen because they are. I want to live my life like heaven is open because don't look now, it is. Are you hearing me? I want to live my life like heaven is open. Heaven is open for business. Listen, I don't want to just come to church and sing songs about faith and sing songs about the promises of God and sing songs about miracles and just participate in really good songs and sing Christian karaoke, you know? Waymaker, miracle worker, promised to Some of you are like, Pastor Matt, do you know why Pastor Stu sings that song? So you don't have to, you know what I mean? How many of you love our worship team? Come on. How many of you are glad I'm not the worship leader? My hand is still raised, straight up. Come on. <laughs> but listen, I don't want to just come to church and sing worship songs. I want to live a life of worship and surrender. 
I don't just want to sing about the miracles of God. I want to experience the miracles of God. I don't want to just read about the promises of God in the Bible. I want to experience the promises of God in my life. And I don't want to just live my life to get to heaven. I want to live my life to bring some heaven down to earth. Come on. I want to live my life like heaven is open because it is. It is. Are you hearing me? Listen, when I get to heaven someday, I want to hear my father say, well done. Not well or worse done, right? (laughs) Well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, I want to do everything God has called me to do. I want to be everything he's called me to be. I want to accomplish everything he's called me to accomplish. I want to live my life like heaven is open for business because it is. Amen? The other day, I was uh, scrolling through social media, and I came across this picture. I literally uh, laughed out loud. No regrets. Man, just, I'm like, bro, you sure you don't have one regret? You know, just maybe one small, subtle regret, you know? I want to live a life of faith with no regrets. I want to live a life of faith with no regrets. Come on. I want to do everything God has called me to do. I want to try to be everything he's called me to be. I want to attempt to accomplish everything he's called me to accomplish. I want to live my life like heaven is open for business because It is, it is. And the last thing I want us to see, and we can close with this, the last thing I want us to see in this story is the father's love for the son, for God's love. And I love, love, love uh, this part. So here's here's a scene. Jesus is baptized. Heaven is open. The spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And the voice of the father is heard saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And to understand kind of the magnitude and to comprehend uh, the weight of this moment, I think we have to understand the context. Jesus is just beginning ministry. Jesus has just come back onto the scene. Jesus is 30 years old. He's just being baptized. And he hasn't done all these amazing things we know Jesus is about to do. He has yet to perform a single miracle. He has yet to perform his first miracle of turning water into wine. He has yet to take a few loaves and fish and multiply them and feed 5,000 people. He has yet to raise Lazarus from the dead. He has yet to heal Peter's mother-in-law. He has yet to heal the centurion's uh, daughter uh, of sickness and even death. He has yet to heal the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus has yet to preach a single sermon, a single message at this point. He's yet to do any ministry. He's yet to preach the widely known, well-acclaimed Sermon on the Mount that many scholars have studied for uh, decades and centuries. He has yet to do ministry. He's yet to sit at a woman with the well, as Pastor Alicia preached on so well last week. He has yet to meet Nicodemus at night because Nicodemus was too ashamed to meet him during the day and share with him about salvation. He has yet to sit with the 12 disciples at the Lord's table, which we just emulated today as we received communion together. He has yet to do any of this. And yet the father says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Why? 
Because the father doesn't love the son on the basis of what he does. The father loves the son on the basis of who he is. And I have good news for you, and that is this. When God looks at you and I, he sees Jesus. He sees grace. He sees the finished work of the cross. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Watch this. But Christ who lives in me. And when Jesus looks at you and I, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our shame. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He doesn't see our faults. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our problems. He doesn't see our past. He sees a son. He sees a daughter. He sees a child of the king. And he says, this is one I love. With them, I am well pleased. Why? Because just the same, God doesn't love us on the basis of what we do. He loves us on the basis of who we are and whose we are. We belong to him, and that alone brings us value. That alone gives us worth. That alone means we are loved. Why do I share this? Because I think sometimes we're trying to earn God's love. I think sometimes we're trying to work, and we're trying to earn this thing. You can't earn what Jesus finished once and for all on the cross. There is nothing you could ever do to make God love you more, and there is nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. There is nothing you could ever do to stop God from loving you because there's nothing you ever did to start him loving you. He's always loved you. His love is perfect. His love is eternal. His love is everlasting. His love is infinite. His love is good. His love is great. His love brings new beginnings. His love brings new starts. His love helps us up. His love is always there. His love will always be there. His love is here right now. And his love for you and I is perfect and there's nothing we could ever do to change the way God feels about us. So smile. This is good news. Religion. Religion condemns us on our best day. But grace, Jesus still loves us on our worst day. And love is not something God does. Love is somebody he is. God is love. And there is nothing, nothing, nothing you or I could ever do to change the love God has for us. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? And then Pastor Stu will lead us in a short song. But perhaps today you just feel like you're not enough. You feel like you've made too many mistakes you've fallen short. And that's why we need grace. And I just want to remind you today, God's here for you. He loves you. There's nothing you could ever do to make him love you more or less. He loves you. And Jesus, we just pray we receive that. Living in a world inundated with works and performance and achievements and awards, we pray you'd help us to just know you love us as we are. You love us because we're children of you. We're children of God. We're sons of God. We're daughters of the King. And you love us because of who we are and whose we are. Let us just receive that today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's stand up together and let's worship.